You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. So uh, stoked to be in the Word with you today. Gosh, this building also is amazing. By show of hands, how many of you were at the old space where Reality Honolulu was meeting or even just went there a couple times? Okay, a couple of things. One, this building is so much cooler, right? But also, it's so much cooler. Like it's 15 degrees cooler than the other space, which I kind of sweat a lot. I know Riz does. I don't know if you guys ever noticed. Riz used to have a little fan right here. Look, there's no little fan because it's such a nice breeze. So, man, what a beautiful space. So kind of God to give this to you guys. And right here in the the heart of the city, so cool. Uh, I'm excited to share with you what I believe God has for us today. If you have a Bible, um, we're going to open up to two places. One, open Ezekiel 47. That's in the Old Testament. Ezekiel 47. Put a finger there and then turn to John 4. Ezekiel 47 and John 4. If you don't have a physical Bible, you can just open whatever your digital Bible is to John chapter 4. But we will be in Ezekiel 47, starting in John 4, though. And while you're flipping there, uh, I'm just going to pray for us first, and then we will get into it. Lord, thank you so much for this church. Thank you for every person in this ohana right here. Thank you for each one, how you have, you've made them. Thank you for the, each individual story that is represented here today, each one being um, saved out of something different and therefore uh, getting to experience who you are in even a little bit different of a way because of where they came from. And thank you for those that are here today who don't yet know you. Pray that you would also reveal yourself to them. They would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus today. We thank you for the power of your word and that you are able to speak to us. I just submit my, my words to you and my heart to you and my mind to you and ask that uh, you would move through what I'm going to be speaking today and that you uh, would minister to your people. Thank you that you are able to do that um, in dozens of different ways to dozens of different people. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so holding a finger in Ezekiel 47, and then we'll start in John chapter 4. But first, just a little background of what we're about to read in John chapter 4. So in John chapter 4, uh, Jesus and his disciples are on their way from the south in Judea up to the north in Galilee. Uh, and right in between those two places, there was this place called Samaria. But the problem was the Jewish people and the Samaritan people hated one another. And so the Jews, if they were going to go to the Galilee, they would go one of two ways, and they would go around Samaria always. It was way longer, way less convenient, but they did not interact with these people. It was like that neighborhood your parents told you, like, you don't ever go there, right? Like, you don't deal with those people, you don't talk to those people, and those people don't talk to you. And so they'd always go around. And so you can imagine the disciples surprised when Jesus is like, oh, no, we're going through Samaria. And they're like, no, Lord, we don't do that. And he's like, no, I do that. And it says actually at the beginning of that chapter that Jesus needed to go through Samaria. And we realize why when we see that Jesus needed to go through Samaria because he was going to meet this woman who would be at the well. And Jesus, knowing that she would be there at the well to draw water in the middle of the day all by herself, um, he had an appointment with her. And she would eventually come to the saving knowledge of Jesus and would be the beginning. She would be the start of this revival that would come to her, uh, her people in Samaria. And so uh, 
where we, we get to this part where we're going to read right now. His disciples are hungry, and so they go off into town. So Jesus is chilling at this well all by himself. Okay? We'll pick it up in John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. It says, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from him himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so at first, this woman doesn't, doesn't get it, right? Obviously, she's like, thinks Jesus is talking about H2O, right? But then eventually her eyes are open. She realizes Jesus is the Messiah. It says later that she, she puts down her bucket that she had uh, to get physical water and instead receives from Jesus the living water. And then she takes the news back to her people and tells them, wow, I've just met the Messiah. And this little revival breaks out. Today, though, I want to look at where it started with her, which was with this living water. And so I want to ask a couple of questions. I want to like, discover together, man, what is this water exactly? Uh, what is, what's it for? And where is it going? Because it's living, right? It's got to be going somewhere, doing something. And to get a better understanding of this water, what it's for, where it's flowing, we actually have to go all the way back to the beginning, back to the book of Genesis. You don't have to turn there. I'll put it up on the screen. But in the book of Genesis, it says that when uh, God created Adam and Eve, that he placed them in the Garden of Eden. And it says in Genesis 2.10, a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. So there is this life-giving river in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, flowing out from Eden to water the garden. But then Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God. Sin entered the world. And when humanity fell, so did creation, right? We don't always think about creation falling when we think about sin entering the world. But all of creation fell, including this life-giving uh, river. And now, as it says in Romans 8, even all of creation groans with labor, labor pains for the day that Jesus returns again and makes all things new when he will set up a new kingdom and restore things all back to how they were intended to be. And so if you want to see, like, what was it supposed to be like in the garden in the beginning? Before there was sin, what was it supposed to be like? You can actually look to the end because as one of my favorite Bible teachers says, the end is the beginning restored. And when you look to the end, you see this river again. In Revelation, you go all the way to the end of the Bible, you see this river restored in Revelation 22. Check this out. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, 
bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And so when Jesus returns and brings his kingdom and fully establishes his kingdom, there is going to be this restored, glorious river of life. And in Ezekiel 47, what we're about to read right now, God shows Ezekiel a river. This same river, but with a little bit more detail. And this is where we start to get a little bit more understanding as to uh, what exactly this living water is talking about, which helps us understand exactly what's happening in John chapter 4 and what I I believe is kind of the application for us today. So in Ezekiel... uh, the book of Ezekiel, the whole last like 14 chapters, it's a trip. Dude. If you've ever read the book of Ezekiel, um, Ezekiel has this tour guide basically who is taking him to all these different places in these visions, right? He's seeing all this stuff and he's basically seeing what the new cosmic city of God is going to be like when the Messiah returns. And, and, and the, the, this tour guide tells him that the city is going to be called the Lord is here. The name of the city in the new kingdom when Jesus returns, the name of the city is going to be called the Lord is here. Why? Because the most defining characteristic about that new city will be the presence of God. And so one of the things that God shows Ezekiel is that there will be this, this uh, a temple and a river flowing from the temple. Now, we don't know if it's an actual physical temple or if it's just uh, uh, imagery like we see in the rest of Ezekiel. It doesn't really matter, though, because what happens as a result of this river that's coming from this temple is undeniable. Okay, so now we're in Ezekiel 47. It'll be up on the screen, but if you have a Bible, uh, this is beautiful. First 12 verses we're going to read. Ezekiel 47. So he says, in my vision, the man, his like (laughs) tour guide, the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. There I saw a stream flowing from east from beneath the door of the temple and passing to the right of the altar on its south side. So inside, he's inside the temple, and there's this uh, stream flowing inside the temple, okay? Like the water's starting to fill up the temple. Verse 2, the man brought me outside the wall through the north gateway and led me around the eastern entrance. There I could see the water flowing out. Okay, so it was inside the temple. Now it's flowing out through the south side or the south of the east gateway. Verse 3, measuring as he went, he took me along this stream for 1,750 feet and then led me across. The water was up to my ankles. He measured off another 1,750 feet and he led me across again. So he's going back and forth like through the river, right? He's walking through the river across from bank to bank. He led me across again. This time, the water was up to my knees. Another 1,750 feet. And it was up to my waist. So it's getting deeper and deeper the further he goes down, right? Verse 5. Then he measured another 1,750 feet, and the river was too deep to walk across. It was deep enough to swim in, but too deep to walk through. He asked me, have you been watching, son of man? Then he led me back along the riverbank. When I returned, I was surprised by the sight of many trees growing on both sides of the river. Then he said to me, This river flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. The waters of this stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. There will be swarms of living things wherever the water of this river flows. 
Fish will abound in the Dead Sea, for its waters will become fresh. Life will flourish wherever this water flows. Let me read that phrase again. Life will flourish wherever this water flows. Fishermen will stand along the shores of the Dead Sea, all the way from Engedi to En Eglaim. The, the shores will be covered with nets drying in the sun. Fish of every kind will fill the Dead Sea just as they fill the Mediterranean. Verse 11, but the marshes and swamps will not be purified. They will still be salty. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow along both sides of the river. The leaves of these trees will never turn brown and fall, and there will always be fruit on their branches. There will be a new crop every month, for they are watered by the river flowing from the temple. The fruit will be for food and the leaves for healing. Oh, what? This is a, a, pretty, a pretty powerful river, right? There's some pretty incredible stuff coming from this river that will be flowing in the kingdom that Jesus brings to earth. But as with all things in the kingdom, there is a future fulfillment of this, right? That's what Ezekiel is saying. But there is also a present reality because the kingdom, including this passage, including this river, it will not be fully manifest until uh, Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom in full. And Jesus said, I want you right now to pray, Father, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And so we pray that, right? We, we sing songs like that because that's how Jesus taught us to pray. And, and we see in part a manifestation of his kingdom on earth. Every, anytime something of his kingdom happens, somebody is born again, somebody is saved, the relationship is, is uh, healed. Man, those are characteristics of his kingdom. And so, yes, it will not be fully fulfilled then, but we see it being fulfilled in part now. And Jesus said, ask for more of that kingdom to come. And part of what the kingdom looks like is exactly what we see in Ezekiel 47, where there is a river of living water flowing. And this is the same living water that was offered to this woman at the well. And so there's six things about this water. They're brief things that I want to point out. And I want to use the acrostic spring, S-P-R-I-N-G, as in spring up, oh well, which is the title of this sermon, by the way, to, to talk about, to answer these questions like, what, what is the water? What, what, what's it, what does it do? What's it for? Where is it flowing? Using this acrostic spring, S-P-R-I-N-G. We'll start with the S. The S in spring is for spirit. What is living water? Because it's doing something good, right? And then uh, it, it's powerful. This woman needs it. Jesus is saying, if you receive this, everything is going to change. We see it happening in the new kingdom. Jesus tells us to ask for that kingdom to come. And so I want to know, what is this? What are we asking for here, Jesus? What is the water? Well, thankfully, John 7 tells us explicitly. It'll be on the screen. John 7, 37 through 39 says, Now on that last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. I don't know if you noticed, but in Revelation 22, 
that picture of the, the, the new city. Ezekiel 47 and in John 4, the water is all coming from the same place, right? In Revelation, it's coming from the throne of God where God is, right, where his presence is. In Ezekiel 47, it's coming from the temple of God, which is where the presence of God dwelt. And in John chapter 4, it's coming from Jesus himself. He's saying, I'm going to give it to you. The water is coming from the Lord. And then John tells us right here explicitly that this water is the spirit of God. When we are born again, we receive the living water. God gives us his Holy Spirit, who is, he is the living water. And this is what was being offered to the woman at the well. And if you don't know Jesus today, man, this is what is being offered to you. And this is what is flowing from the temple and from the throne. It is God's very presence, the Holy Spirit. He is the one. And so when you put your trust in Jesus, God gives you his spirit. He gives you his spirit. And then the Bible tells us to be continually filled with his spirit. And so when we are filled with the spirit, man, we are filled with the very presence of God. The Bible tells us in actually in John chapter 4 that God is spirit. And so when we're talking about the presence of God, you know, we're like, oh man, uh, God is here, like, or his presence. We're talking about a spirit, right? We're talking about the Holy Spirit. We're talking about God himself. This water in Ezekiel flows from the temple, which like I said, is where the presence of God dwelt. And remember, Ezekiel calls the city, the Lord is here. It is a city of the presence of God. The living water is a river of his spirit. The S is for spirit. The P in spring is for power. Everything that happened in Ezekiel's vision really came as a result of this water, right? And it makes sense. It makes sense. If the living water is the presence of God himself, then it would make sense that everywhere that he goes, and so everywhere that this river went, that incredible things would happen. Uh, we're staying at this little hotel in Waikiki, and uh, last night I went to turn on a lamp, and I pushed the button, and it didn't turn on. And I, uh, I looked down, and the plug was like barely in the socket, like touching kind of, but not like in, right? You ever tried to plug in a lamp that's not plugged into power? It doesn't do anything. You ever tried to drive a car that doesn't have an engine in it? Right, you end up looking like these guys. Do we have that picture? Do we have the little, you ever seen this, the Flintstones? This is what, remember the Flintstones? They don't have an engine. They're just like moving their feet along. I don't, maybe I'm old. But uh, you don't have an engine, so you end up just like this. It's what it's like, right? You're just like having to do all of the work yourself. Well, trying to live the Christian life apart from the Holy Spirit is like, is like being the Flintstones, right? There's no engine in the car. The light doesn't plug into the socket. You're like, you're touching Maybe you're, like connect, you're touching like who God is, but you're not connected to him, and so there's no power. The, the light doesn't turn on. Jesus said to the disciples in Acts chapter 1 that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Without the Spirit, now you are just the Flintstones trying to get around with no engine in your car. We need to remember, friends, that the Spirit is where the power comes from today. He is the epicenter of all life. It's been a crazy couple of years, right? Like I know on the mainland it's been crazy. From what I understand, it's been just as crazy, uh, if not more, in the Hawaiian Islands. And the truth is, man, people desperately need hope. They, they need life. Uh, they're looking for answers. There's a lot of struggle going on. 
And uh, the truth is that we could plan really well. We could, we could work um, really hard. We could have really good intentions. But without the power of the Spirit, there's going to be no lasting fruit. There's going to be no lasting effectiveness. And I'll tell you right now, it's going to be a heck of a lot more exhausting. Just like trying to uh, take a car from one place to another without an engine. It's like, you might actually get there. But it's going to take a really long time, and it's going to be a lot harder. It's not going to be as enjoyable. But, man, when, when we rely on the power of the Spirit, then it's like, okay, Lord, it's you. You're the one who is doing it. I mean, look at what happens as a result of this water, which represents the Spirit, the presence of God. This is, this is what happens in the presence of God. This is what the Spirit does in Ezekiel 47. I'm going to put up a little list here. Number one, uh, we see productivity happening. Everybody wants productivity, right? In, in verse 9 to 47, it says that the water was producing fruit and making things flourish. And the truth is, like I just said, there is no lasting productivity or fruit in the kingdom of God apart from the presence of God. And then we see healing happening. It's pointed out in the river in Revelation 22, where it says the water brought life to the trees and the, the leaves of the trees, the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. There is healing in the presence of God. In fact, sometimes all someone has to do is just come in contact with with the presence of God, and they can be healed. Remember that story with the, the woman and the flow of blood, and, they, and she just gets close to Jesus and touches the hem of his garment. He didn't even talk to her. He didn't look at her. He didn't touch her. She just touches the hem of his garment, and she's healed. Sometimes I think you just got to get in the presence of God, and healing can come. And what kind of healing? All kinds of healing, man. Physical healing, like you see all throughout Scripture. Uh, healing in the mind. Healing in relationship. Healing in racial tension. Healing in families. All kinds of healing can come. That's what happens in the presence of God. We also see cleansing and purification happening here in Ezekiel 47. This water was cleansing the water of the Dead Sea. The Spirit of God cleanses and purifies that which is unclean, corrupted, salty, or bitter. Even things that seem impossible to clean up and purify. Just like some of the situations in our own lives some of our own thought patterns that we think are too far gone. The Dead Sea, if you've ever been to Israel, you know the Dead Sea is, that's why it's called dead. It's dead. It's dead. There's nothing living in it because it's, it's too salty. Just like that can't be cleaned up apart from the power and presence of God. Man, maybe your life you feel like, God, there's, there's too much. It's too much filth. Whatever, it's too much. No, there's nothing that God cannot cleanse. This is what happens when the Lord shows up. We see it right here as a picture in Ezekiel 47. And then miracles are happening in the presence of God. Ezekiel 47, verses 8 through 12. The Dead Sea is becoming fresh, like I just said. The new crops every month. What? The leaves are healing. These are miracles. Why? Because the Spirit of God ushers in the miraculous. Miracles are possible in the presence of God. And then there's provision taking place. It says in verse 12, Ezekiel 47, that the river gave life to the trees. Check this out. And that the trees were good for food. And there was always fruit on their branches. There is provision where the Lord is. Somebody who's stressing out about finances, just say, amen. Wow, you're the only, only one. Just me and you, girl. 
only people in the whole room stressed out about finances. I guess COVID didn't hit Hawaii too hard. It says there's provision, right? There is provision here. The Spirit of God provides sustenance actually way beyond even the physical, way beyond the physical needs. And the last thing we see in Ezekiel uh, 47 there is uh, salvation. Now listen, in the new kingdom, there's no more salvation that needs to take place because everybody's saved. But check out this beautiful picture. Notice that the fishermen are laying out their nets. Because why? Because they just caught a bunch of fish. I cannot escape the fact that Jesus uses this picture when he says in Matthew chapter 4 that I will make you fishers of men. Right? We know this, that where God's spirit is, where his presence is, that he is convicting people of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Bible says in, in John chapter 16 that the spirit of God is the one who brings people into salvation. The spirit is the one who gives life. The spirit is the one who brings salvation. This is the power of the presence of God. This is the power of God's spirit. This is what happens where the living water of God's presence flows. Speaking of flowing, the R in spring is for recipients. Remember I said at the beginning that the water's got to be going somewhere. It's got to be doing something. It's got to be moving. It's, it's, it's living water. Well, we know where it flows from. John chapter 4, the water's coming from Jesus. Uh, Revelation 22, it's coming from the throne. Ezekiel 47, it's coming from the temple, right? It's coming from the presence of God. He is the source of all of this life and all of this goodness. But where is it going to? In John chapter 4, we read it. Jesus tells the woman at the well, Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. And so this water has a destination that it is intended to fill God's people. We are the recipients. In Ezekiel's vision, the living water filled the temple, right? Well, God doesn't dwell in a physical temple anymore. Do you not know, it says in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3, that you, church, believer, you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. You are the house, so to speak, where God lives. I know that's a trippy thought. Like, why? This is not a nice house. Why would God want to dwell in, in me? He doesn't dwell in houses made with hands or in buildings made with hands. He dwells in his people. God puts his spirit in us, which means that all of this goodness we see happening from the living water, man, that is for us first. We are the recipients of it. And so I want to encourage you, Christian, receive that. Receive that. Now listen, you're not going to see the whole fullness of it, okay, because the fullness of God's kingdom hasn't come. You're not going to see the full healing maybe, the full restoration of all things. Even our salvation, the Bible says, it will be complete on that day because right now we've been saved from the power of sin, praise God. We've been saved from the power of Satan, praise God. And we've been saved from the power of death, praise God. But there's still a presence of sin. We, we experience it, its effects, right? There's still the presence of the enemy. We experience those effects. And there's still the presence of death. My Aunt Michelle just died, right, last week. It still stings. But someday, someday when our salvation is complete, not only will the power of sin, death, and the devil be gone, but the presence of sin will be gone. There will be no more sin. 
not around us, not in us, not to us, not from us. There will be no more presence of the enemy. He'll be gone. And there will be no more presence of death. There will be no more death. So, yeah, you're not going to experience it in full right now. But, friends, you got to know that you can receive everything that is of God's spirit right now. And like I said, will you experience the fullness of all of it? Probably not because his kingdom's not here. But in part, God wants us to experience his kingdom right now. And so we are the recipients of it. The R is for recipients. The eye in spring is for immersion. It's for immersion because there's different kinds of receiving, right? You know what I'm saying? You're like, yeah, dude, I receive. But then there's like, I receive. I receive that. What kind of receiving does God have for us? He has immersion for us. To fully receive means to be immersed. This is, this is God's desire for us. Jesus told his disciples in Acts chapter 1 verse 5, he said, John baptized with water. Right? You've, you've seen somebody be baptized. You've probably been baptized. He says, but a few days from now, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He is the living water. Right? When you baptize somebody, you don't like sprinkle them. The word baptize, look it up in your dictionary even. Look it up in the Greek. It means to be fully immersed. That's what it means. To be fully immersed. You might have caught this when we were reading in Ezekiel, but remember uh, when Ezekiel first stepped into the river? It wasn't even called a river. It was called a stream at the beginning, and then they later referred to it as a river. It was called a stream. Why? Because it was only ankle deep. Remember at the beginning, he says, you're walking in, and it was up to my ankles. That's not baptism. That might be refreshing, but it's not baptism. <laughs> we were, we were uh, at the beach yesterday, and there's this sweet couple, and uh, they walked into the water. They're like tiptoeing in. And she was up to like her, like a little above her ankles. And she was just like splashing the water on herself. First of all, I was like, dude, y'all need to go to California. You think this water's cold? I feel like I'm in a jacuzzi over here. This is amazing. But she was like just splashing the water to get a little refresh on her legs. She was just up to her ankles, right? There was no like jumping. There was no jumping in. It was up to her ankles as it was up to his ankles in Ezekiel in verse 3. And sadly, the reality is that, man, for some people, this is where they're going to be at with the Lord, right? They're going to go ankle deep. And they're like, this is good. I'm going to sit here and just a little bit of Jesus. <laughs> just a little bit, <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't want to, like, dump into the deep end. Like, it's a little, I don't know, it's over there. But it's nice over here. It's just a little bit. I, my daughter's 17, her friend. <laughs> I love my daughter. We love our daughter. My daughter's amazing, okay? I was not amazing when I was 17, but my daughter... She, like, involves us in every relationship in her life. And she'll be like, oh, my gosh, so-and-so just said such and such. Do you think I should say this back to them? Like, she involved, which is amazing. And so she showed me this text the other day. Her friend was like, hey, can I go to church with you? I need a little Jesus, a little Jesus. And she was like, what is this? Like, she's like, I want some cheesecake, I want a taco, and I want a little Jesus. Like, that'll make my life good, right? That's ankle deep, splashing the water. Get a little refresh. You don't want the full immersion. You want a little bit of the presence of God. You want to, like, read your Bible, but you don't want to, like, do the stuff in the Bible. Right? That's a different story. You maybe even want to, like, know the Word of God, but you don't want to, like, have an intimate relationship with Jesus, who is the living Word of God. I want to be ankle deep. But this is not where God is wanting us to stay. He's wanting us to 
go past the ankles, even to the knees. Like, remember in Ezekiel, he's crossing back and forth the river and he gets up to his knees. But not just stop there. He wants us to get up to the waist. But then he wants to take us deeper, like it says in verse 6, so high that you can only swim, which means that it is further than the waist. It is at least up to the chest, right where the heart is, by the way. Let me just pause here and say that there, there can be uh, functional idols living in our, our own hearts that sit on the throne of our hearts that end up kind of dictating the decisions that we make, the, the affections that we have, the passions we have, the goals and desires, things that are not um, the spirit of God. Uh, thing, something like comfort, all of a sudden, when it sits on the throne of our hearts, determines the decisions we make in life. We're like, I'm going to do that because that's going to make me feel comfortable. I'm not going to do that because that sounds pretty uncomfortable. I, I, I want stability, and so I'm going to make that decision or this decision. I, I'm, I'm being, like, I'm afraid of this or that, so it's going to prevent me from making certain decisions, right? These things can sit on our hearts, the throne of our hearts, and end up dictating the types of decisions we make. The Bible calls these things idols. But what happens when we let God fully invade our hearts and minds, when we, our, our, our hearts uh, we're talking about our hearts right now. I'm going to get to our minds in a second. Fully invade our hearts, like we are fully immersed, is the water comes in so much that it like drives out those other things. When, when, when Jesus is on the throne, nobody else gets to sit on the throne. Like idols don't get to sit there. And so sometimes we're like, oh, I just got to try to get this out. But it's like maybe you just need more of who God is. And when he comes in, he will drive out those things. But it doesn't even stop at the heart, right? It doesn't even stop at the chest because it says in Ezekiel that it was too deep to walk in. You can walk in chest deep water, can't you? I've been, I've walked in chest deep water. In fact, I've walked all the way up to like my nose, just like tiptoe out. I'm walking, right? I've done that. Which means that the water was so high, it was filling his, his head even. Which I can't escape the fact that, gosh, man, like God doesn't want to stop here. He wants to even fill our minds. He wants his presence to invade every single part of our being, including our thought patterns. Including the way that we think and the perspective that we have of him and what he's doing in our world. Because when we just like listen to social media and the news and each other talking and we're using that as our interpretation as to what God is doing and what might be happening, we're probably missing something. But man, when we invite God's spirit and say, Lord, I want more of you. I want less of all the noise. I want more of you. All of a sudden, our perspective begins to change. We begin to see things like he sees them. But to be fully immersed, to be so deep that it's like I can't even stand anymore, that's a little scary. There's a reason why people don't want to jump into the deep end. Because when you jump into the deep end, especially if you're in a river, you got to just like surrender. Like there ain't no fighting the river. And if you've ever swam in a deep river that's like head high, you know this thing is going to take me wherever it wants to take me. And it might not be where I was planning on going. Which isn't that the case with the Spirit of God. You're like, here I am, Lord. He's like, I'm going to lead you over here. And you're like, I don't want to go over there. And he's like, but this one, I'm going to be here. I'm going to lead you here, and it's going to be okay. Right? It's going to be okay. And that's what he does. But that requires surrender. That requires a giving up of control and trusting him. And the truth is some will not. Some will not be willing to do this, which is why I gave a whole letter 
to this quick one. The end in spring is for not everyone. Jesus said, speaking of salvation, that not everyone's going to enter the kingdom because the, the, the gate is narrow. But in the same way, we all know that not everyone's willing to go to the depths with the Lord. It's, it's too much. It's too out of control. And so the reality is some will be content to splash around in the ankle-deep water of God. And we've all been there, you know. Maybe some of us are there right now where it's like, I just want to splash. I want to I I be close enough to be refreshed, but not so close that I have to, like, give anything up. And here's the truth. God, in his grace, will let you stay there. He'll let you stay there. And you might even bear a little bit of fruit. Like in the ankle-deep stream, there's still a little fruit on the sides. It's not the same kind of fruit and trees that are downstream where the waters are deep. But there's a little fruit there. There might even be a little bit of fruit in your life. But if you want to experience the fullness of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and you want to experience the fullness of the the fruit and the plan that he has for your life, there must be a surrender. There must be a full immersion. And for those who will receive this full immersion of God's spirit, We will not just receive the water, friends, but we will be able to give the water, which is the last one, last letter in the spring acrostic G, is for gush forth. Jesus said, the living water will become in you a spring. Springs don't just receive, right? Springs spring. They spring forth. Where does the water flow? Where does God's spirit move? Well, he moves in us, but then he desires to move through us. Again, John chapter 7, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him would later Receive. So we are both the recipients and the deliverers of the life of God. Now, we all know that God could work apart from his people, right? He does not need us. However, throughout history, God has chosen not to work independent of his people, but through his people. Reality Honolulu, you are in a new, really beautiful season. And in some ways, it's a season of, of rebuilding. It's a season of, of new. The, new, the new actual building, right? And coming out of like all the COVID craziness and gathering again in person. It, it is a season of rebuilding. And there's an incredible opportunity for so much building to happen. And even in this building, for so much ministry to happen. I'm so excited about this space. I'm, I'm excited about the way that God is going to use you guys in, in connection with uh, the families that are part of this school and the faculty that's a part of this school. Those are all beautiful things, and God will use this space for his glory. But I want to remind you, this is still just a school theater. It's it's cool. It's got vibe. I like it. But it's still just a school theater. God does not live here. He lives in you. And so will God use this space? Absolutely. I'm confident of it. But even in that, he's going to, Use you to do work in this space. That's what he does. He works 
through his people. Because you are not just a carrier, but a conduit of God's spirit and presence. In Ezekiel's vision, remember, the water didn't just fill the temple. It didn't just stay in there, but it flowed out from the temple. God doesn't just give himself to you for you like, I love it. Thank you, Lord. You show me how much you love me. Show me who I am in you. I receive all you can. He's like, yes, receive and give. And then receive and give, receive and give, right? This is why Jesus refers to this living water as a spring. Because he wants to pour forth. His life isn't just in us. He wants to work through us. You guys know this song? Uh, They do it like in kids' ministry. I've got a river of life flowing. You know this song? Have you ever listened to these lyrics? I do not know why we don't sing this song with the grown-ups. This song's crazy. It says, I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Here's what the river does. It makes the lame to walk. That's crazy. And the blind to see. This river opens prison doors and sets the captives free. I don't know about you, but I don't want just my children experiencing that in their lives. I want that. I'm like, that's what the Spirit of God does. That's what he does. I want to see that in my life. Opens prison doors and sets the captives free. Spring up, oh well, right? Y'all know this song? This is, y'all know, this is a good song. This is a good song. Reality Honolulu. Reality Honolulu. This is what God wants to do with you in this season. This is what God wants to do with you this season. Every day you're going to have opportunities. You're going to run into people who need what God is, who he is, what he does. And God says, yeah, I want to do that through you. What a gift it is to have one another, to have a space like this. But God wants to move through you. And so if I could leave you with three things. I'm not going to expound on them. I'm just going to say them. I want to remind you of this in this season. Number one, remember where the source of your power is. Remember that it is the Spirit of God who does all of these things. Number two, remember, though, that he wants to do it through you. He wants to do it through you. And number three, know that the deeper that you go and the more immersed you are, the more effective, the more fruitful, and the less exhausted you will be. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, the fact that you would want to dwell in us is like humbling enough. But then that you would want to work through us in the lives of other people, I I don't really have like a a grid for that. I don't have like a, oh yeah, that makes sense to me. And yet that's exactly what you want to do. And so we recognize, Lord, that not only do we need you, but... um, the people around us need you. And if, if all you wanted to do was work in our own individual lives, then you would just take us home. There'd be no work for us to do here. But you, you want to work through us in the lives of others. And so we together as a church, we just say yes to that. And friends, if you're here today and you just recognize, man, I, I want to be surrendered to the Lord. There may be only a couple of us that are like, I'm in. My my life is the Lord's. I trust him. I can trust him with my life. I 
I want to surrender. I want to be fully immersed. I'm willing to jump into the deep end because I trust that God is good. And though he might take me somewhere I don't want to go, I wasn't planning on going, I know that he's going to be faithful and and it's going to be okay because he's with me. If that's you today and you're just like, yeah, Lord, I want to be fully surrendered to you, why don't you just put out your hands in front of you as if you were receiving? And even if you're like, gosh, Lord, I'm scared, but I want to be willing. I'm not willing yet, but I want to be willing. Why don't you just put out your hands in front of you? as if you were surrendering and receiving at the same time. And just in your heart, you just just pray something like this in your own words, or you can use my words. Lord, here's my life. I surrender to you. I might even be a little bit nervous or scared of the unknown, but here's my life. I want to be full of you. I want to be over my head with you, fully immersed in you. I desire for my life to be bigger than just me and my desires and my plans. And so I ask that you would work in me and that you would work through me. However you see fit, Here's my life, Lord. Fill me afresh even now.